The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 10th chapter, beginning with the 17th verse. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. He said to Jesus, Teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and he went away grieving for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals, it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And the last will be first. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pastor Otto Tollefsen, who served here at St. Mark's, used to say that he wanted to write a book entitled, Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. If he had followed through on this, I'm sure he would have included the command of Jesus in this gospel story today that we just heard. In his encounter with a man who looks and acts a lot like many of us, Jesus says, go sell what you own and give the money to the poor. Then come follow me. It was the last thing that this man wanted to hear. He was genuinely looking for life. And now he was being asked to give away the very thing that had made his life what it was. Like other people of means, his wealth had secured his identity in society and his place in the social order. And in the eyes of almost everyone, including Jesus' disciples, we learn, it had also confirmed his status as one of God's beloved people. In that light, Jesus' words made him terribly sad. All the man could think of was what he would lose and it kept him from getting even a glimpse of what he would gain if he followed Jesus' command. 
It is too bad that he couldn't see the motive behind these challenging words. Looking at the man, Mark says, Jesus loved him. And that is why he said, sell what you have and give the money to the poor. In other words, this was not an attempt on Jesus' part to shame an arrogant person or to instill guilt in his heart. Instead, Mark says, it was a loving attempt to set him free, to give him the life that he could not find on his own. At this point in the story, we could domesticate the whole thing by reducing Jesus' words to the commonly stated truth that money can't buy happiness. But if that was all that this was about, you wouldn't need to come to church or read the Bible to hear it. So what is the deeper and more provocative message of this gospel story? What is the truth here that has the power to break us open and to bring us into a life that only God can give to us? In my case, I can't escape the first truth that I hear, which is that Jesus is committed to a radical redistribution of wealth in this world. We can do our best to spin that message in other ways, but every attempt to do that feels to me like avoidance. And of note, Jesus doesn't just tell the man to divest of his wealth in whatever way he chooses. Instead, Jesus tells him very specifically to give his wealth to the poor. It's not the way things usually work in this age when most wealth moves around between the pockets and the purses and the bank accounts of people who already have more than they need. But in this story and in the retelling of it today, I hear Jesus calling us into a new age when everything is different. It's an age, Jesus says, where many even who are first will be last and the last will be first. And when I hear him talking about this age to come, as he does in our story today, I don't think that Jesus is talking about some otherworldly kingdom where we go after we die. More than anything, I think Jesus is talking about the reign of God that is coming to this earth. And like the prophets before him, Jesus is seeing it as a reign where everyone has enough and no one has too much. Of course, that vision will land differently with every one of us as we hear this story today, depending on our own wealth. Some will welcome this as the age that they have longed for, perhaps even for generations. Others of us will resist it and perhaps even reject it altogether, like the person in the story who knelt before Jesus when something scares us, it is very hard to hear it as good news. And when I think about the frightening aspects of this for the man who came to Jesus, I'm mindful not only of his wealth, but of his privilege and of his status. And above all, the relationships that had come to define his present life because of all of that. In fact, that may be where his biggest problem lies. Because Jesus is calling for more than a change in this person's bottom line, 
more than just a relinquishment of his acquisitions. I think most importantly, Jesus is calling him into a whole new way of being in relationship with other people, including all of the poor and the disenfranchised in the world who he has been able to forget or ignore his entire life. In the end, that may be the biggest reason for the man's resistance. He resists surrendering not only wealth, but also his protected circle of relationships. But Jesus loves him dearly. And in that love, Jesus tells him the truth. Not the half-truth, not the watered-down truth, which we often minimize this to, but the whole truth. Your whole world of relationships needs to change, Jesus says. In essence, it is a call to experience something completely new and life-giving for this person. It is a call really into companionship, into community with people beyond his tiny circle, into solidarity with the beautiful, diverse human family. Throughout all of this man's carefully protected life, he has been missing this. He has been missing what he was created for. And Jesus knows that from the moment they meet. So when Jesus says, sell what you own and give the money to the poor, it's a lot like the loving command to love your neighbor as yourself. It's an invitation and a challenge to be part of God's new reign on earth, a reign where each person lives and strives for the common good of all, a reign where walls of division dissolve into bonds of mutual care and support within the human family. In the broadest sense, I'm wondering how each of us will hear and receive that invitation and that challenge today. In Jesus, God's provocative love holds a mirror to everything in our life that separates us from God and from each other. It may be wealth for many of us, but as one person said, I can't help but wonder what would grieve and shock me in such a catastrophic way if Jesus asked me to surrender it? What do I hold so sacred, she says? What do I consider so untouchable? What can't I see as an obstacle in my relationship with God? What is the one thing that I lack? The one thing that might cause me to walk away if God points it out to me and says, let it go. It is sad when the man in the story walks away, walks away from the answer to that question with grief and shock. I find myself wanting Jesus to run after him, to try some other way of getting him to change. But that isn't what Jesus does. As Debbie Thomas says, Jesus lets him go because that is the terrible and beautiful requirement of love. Love lets go. Love bides its time. Love hopes in absence, in shadow, in interims of silence. But all the while, she says, 
love dreams of return. Because even when a situation appears impossible to us mortals, for God, all things are possible. I hold on to that hope for every one of us today, remembering the promised joy of life together in God's new reign, where each person lives and strives for the common good of all, where everyone has enough and no one, no one has too much, and where walls of division dissolve into bonds of mutual care and support within the whole human family. In the spirit of that promise, I say, thanks be to God. Amen.